Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Find more episodes and subscribe on your favorite platforms. And if you want to learn how to grow great writers, check out writable.com. In this episode, Troy speaks with Jim Burke, an English teacher of more than 20 years and best-selling author of numerous books, including The English Companion. Jim is also the founder of the English Companion Internet Community and has been awarded numerous awards. In their conversation, Jim and Troy speak about the importance of a personal writing and reading practice to help bolster your teaching and share unique tips for all educators. Welcome to our next episode. Today, I'm very pleased to be joined by uh, Jim Burke, who has been a mentor to so many of us uh, through National Council of Teachers of English, the English Companion Ning, and other outlets uh, involving literacy education more broadly. Welcome, Jim. Thank you very much, Troy. Good to be here. Appreciate it. So tell us a little bit about where you're at in your journey as an educator. Uh, I'm at an interesting point because I uh, officially this year uh, became the teacher who has been at Burlingame High School the longest. Uh, so that was kind of unexpected uh, to arrive uh, at, that, at that moment. I knew that I was uh, definitely in that spot in the English department. But uh, at the beginning of the year, our new principal had us do an activity where we kind of lined up by uh, seniority. And it never even occurred to me that I would be at the end of that line or the head of that line, I guess. Uh, so I find myself uh, in my 28th year at Birmingham. I find myself in my 31st year overall as a teacher, which uh, is kind of crazy that it adds up like that. Uh, I'm teaching uh, all college, what we call college prep seniors. So these are non-AP classes um, and um, have about 100 kids and uh, having a really great year with them. I'm kind of amazed at how fast the year feels like it's going um, and uh, just this morning uh, I had a conversation with my principal about uh, whether or not I would want to consider being an instructional coach next year uh, so right now I'm thinking that I probably have my hope is that I have three more years in the classroom and um, kind of you know interesting to look at such a short period of time and ask myself uh, what I want that to be like. But uh, at the end of the day, I really just uh, continue to love the work of the classroom. I, you know, I, I just, uh, I was telling my kids the other day that your job is to find a question uh, or a problem that you would want to spend your whole life trying to answer or contribute to the solution of. And uh, as I told them lovingly that they are my problem or my question that I've spent my life trying to figure out. And uh after 27 years, I do not have it all figured out because it kind of keeps changing, but that's what I love about it. That's amazing. Well, for what it's worth, I, I could see you in a role as an instructional coach uh, very easily, but I understand your passion for being there with your kids every day too. So, Well, I'd still stay in the classroom. So I would be teaching, you know, like three classes still, and then I would just be uh, coming back full time to, to take on a couple of those periods as an instructional coach. Gotcha. Gotcha. Well, thank you. I have to imagine that you would do well as an instructional coach and still having that uh, shared role in your classroom too. So with that in mind, um, as I've been asking all the guests, uh, I'd really like to get to the go-to strategy, the teaching tip that works for you now. We could certainly talk for quite some time about pedagogy and educational philosophy more broadly, but 
I wonder if you could jump right in and share something that's working for you with your kids in your classroom right at this moment. Uh, the best thing that I would talk about is uh, you could, to some extent, you could you could talk about it as just the, the, the basic strategy of kids can't, uh, they need to know what you want. They need to know what the thing that you want them to do looks like. Uh, so they need to really have uh, good examples of what that looks like if they're going to be able to perform at that level uh, in general, or if they're going to be able to do work that's, you know, kind of as precise as you would like them to do. Probably the th thing that has made uh, the most compelling uh, impact on my own teaching uh, is this thing that I call the daily record. Uh, and I would describe it. So it's a Google, just to set it up a little bit, it's a Google doc. We're looking at a, a live document here. So I guess these are probably students of mine that are doing their work up there. Um, and uh, it's a Google doc. And the premise is to write my lesson plans for my class each day uh, with my students and I as the users of them and uh, either to have them uh, displayed up on the, on the big screen or to uh, have them, you know, visible on their, uh, their, their Chromebooks that we have in the classroom. And uh, I think if I traced it back originally, I would say that it comes from uh, Atul Gawande's The Checklist Manifesto, that idea of coming up with some sort of a structured um, template that is kind of trying to protect me against my own inclinations uh, and dispositions to, you know, wander or digress or, or whatever. And, uh, you know, we have a lot to accomplish in the constraints that we teach in. So what I did is, you know, this is a table of contents function. And if I go to today, no, actually yesterday is better. Uh, so if I go to yesterday, January 29th, so what it looks like is, um, I'll kind of do this quick scroll through and then I'll explain it a little bit more, um, is, you know, it's just kind of everything that I need for the class um, for me to use. It's got the homework and all that kind of stuff. Um, and then what it allows me to do is to, um, you know, kind of dump news in there, things like that. I saw Todd uh, Finley's uh, brain, Todd's brain thing the other night. My students and I had just been talking about note-taking. So, you know, I popped that in there, uh, just like a little reminder about um, class next week. And then what, what I, you know, what I really do is, uh, you know, this idea of, you know, what is it that I'm trying to accomplish today? Uh, so we're reading uh, The Immortal Life of Henry Delax, and, um, and then we're working on, on Part of this this extended research project called the expert project and they need to write an executive summary uh, so uh, so the so what the daily record does is you know I, I basically break it up into three acts you know in general I, I feel like we can't uh, accomplish more than than three major moves in any one class period without kind of slicing it too thin so I generally am not inclined to give kids time to read in class, uh, but uh, you know it's a longer book, and I just feel like I need to, to pony up a little bit of my time. Uh, if you, so what I so what they see is they see this up on the screen, and I you know I write this up each day for class. Uh, it has uh, the added benefit of if there are kids that you know have uh, special needs, uh, you know IEPs, 504s, uh, you know second language learners. They have, you know, all this material here to be able to look at later on in their own time. 
Uh, and uh, so yesterday, for instance, you know, we're, we're in the early parts of um, Immortal Life of Henry Deluxe. And I feel like the kids just don't know what, um, what Jim Crow looks like, right, when we read about it. So, uh, you know, if they click on this, um, we didn't have as much time as I would have liked to, but it, it's, it'll, it allows them to go to this uh, photo exhibit by Gordon Park, Parks uh, back in the, the 1950s where he took a trip through the, um, the you know, the Jim Crow South, uh, the first African-American photographer for life, first color photo exhibit, you know, in uh, Life magazine. Um, so, so that was kind of a little bit of a background. Uh, it allows me to do things like, um, you know, weave in uh, a little bit of a local connection. So, uh, so this Tanforan BHS thing, the local mall that's, you know, a couple of miles away from school was a Japanese internment center, a detention center during World War II. And so, uh, so I wanted the kids to understand that the stuff that they talk about in Henry Deluxe is not something that just those people back then or those people down there uh, do that these are, you know, very local issues as well. So I wanted them to see that, you know, during World War II, that, uh, you know, Japanese American students from their own school, uh, you know, Nisei at Birmingham High School had been removed from the school and were kept apart uh, over the detention center uh, before they were shipped out to, um, uh, to Manzanar. And, uh, and then we get to the, the main thing for the day, which is working on the executive summary, this writing assignment that I want them to do. And uh, so I'm able to link the documents in here, you know, make sure that they have digital copies, um, make sure they're able to see things in color. Um, so what they've done is uh, they have done a survey or an interview uh, or an experiment in the last week. And now they have all this data. And what I'm gonna do is teach them how to write an executive summary. I'm gonna really be very serious in the coming week about you know, the document formatting is, is a part of, you know, is a writing skill these days. And, uh, and so when they look at that, uh, that's what they, you know, that's what they see uh, when they, when they come into class and, uh, and. And that's a document that you've created. And then that's a document that I've created. Right. And then, um, and then I was, I was talking about, you know, wanting them to have examples so, uh, so down here, they've got, you know, an example of what a completed executive summary looks like, uh, depending on whether they've done a survey. Um, so this one's on psych you know, psychopathy. So it's an example from a student last year. And this is a, like a graphic that would have come from a girl's Google form survey. And, you know, she would have like taken a screenshot of that and embedded it. Uh, so it's, you know, it's a very different kind of writing. Um, it's, you know, we talk a lot about, you know, the challenge of writing with precision and concision, uh, you know, and up top what you have is kind of the key finding from the data from their research, the, the graphic that illustrates that. And down here you have the analysis of, of you know, what's, uh, what's important about it. And, um, and then, you know, kind of other, other things to sort of help them along the way. And then the homework for the day. So the so your question was like, what you know, what's my go-to uh, strategy? And really, the uh, the uh, the daily record has has become that. You know, it it gives me uh, just a great sense of structure. 
and mm-hmm. um, and it allows me to to you know keep myself honest, you know, not just kind of go in there and and fling it around uh, without reducing it to you know some kind of a uh, you know hop, skip, and a jump uh, predictable template. Wow. And so your students, um, as they use the daily record, and you said that they may be contributing to the daily record too. Uh, what are what are their reactions to this as a as an organizing tool and kind of a key feature of your classroom? I think they find it you know profoundly helpful. You know, and and uh, you know it's there. Like I've had a, a number of kids out lately that have been out for two, three, four days with the flu, so they can have access to the whole to all the material. So one of the things that I'll do with the daily record is after class, I haven't done this yet today, but after class, if there's whatever's on the board, I'll take a picture of it and, uh, and just go back and add that to the daily record. So there's a little bit of a record uh, if a kid was out. So what you see here is, you know, I, I was mentioning earlier, I think the, uh, the idea that kids need to know what things look like. So they've got, you know, examples of complete, um, some additional complete, uh, executive summaries over here. Uh, they've got, you know, kind of some of my annotations in the middle. They've got an example of one that was good, but that did a bunch of things wrong. And, uh, and so to the extent that kids can come up and take a look at those, uh, that I can use those to refer to when I'm teaching, uh, it just makes the teaching, you know, a lot more tangible. Kids were, you know, during class, they were coming up and taking a picture of them with their phone. Uh, so they had, you know, can kind of look at that later on. So that was, uh, that was today's class. That's amazing. And it seems like it's such a a valuable resource for them. They always know right where to go to get that. It's all in that one document, which had, it looked like some 11,000 revisions, even from the the short period of this first part of the semester. And I can imagine that that would be incredibly helpful for them to be able to go back and just have that record of their learning on a day-to-day basis in such a concise manner. Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, um, you know, I, I keep tweaking it. I think we're all, you know, we're always kind of trying to play around with these, with these different things, try to find the right, um, you know, the right uh, look for it. Um, and uh, so the kids, I mean, they could, they could see it if they wanted. Uh, but, you know, I was playing around with adding this semester, adding this feature here. You know, where if I click on this standards address, it goes to a digital version of, of my Common Core book. And if you click on this, it goes to a list of accommodations. Um, you know, trying to, you know, it's a, so the kids can see it, but it actually doesn't automatically show up for them. Um, I, you know, I think one of the things about our work these days is, um, you know, just all that we're trying to accomplish in the span of a period. And, uh, and so, so I play around with things like this uh, in part to try to um, improve my own teaching, try to create these um, kind of structures to, to be more consistent without being formulaic. Uh, but then it's also interesting to see the things that, you know, like by actually using this, you know, I find like, man, that would really take a lot of time to go to go and add that. And, uh, and would it make a difference with our teaching? So I'm, I'm really big on only doing what makes a difference. Um, and, uh, you know, I don't have the standards addressed here today, but I, you know, but I knew, you know, kind of which standard I was working on. Do I talk about with the kids? No, not really. They're not interested. Um, and, um, 
you know, like the that accommodations thing goes to a big sheet that's, you know, frankly is is way too many different things to be able to make sense of and look at. Um, but it's, you know, for right now it's there as like a little nudge to try to push me to at least think about it. So uh, it's, uh, it's interesting times to be a teacher with all that you're Don Graves used to say that teachers are like five pound bags into which people are always trying to stuff 10 pounds of grain. And, uh, you know, I just, I just feel the truth of that more and more all the time. I imagine. Well, and I appreciate what you just said about this effort to be consistent without being formulaic. I, I yeah. think that that's a challenge that teachers face in the moment to moment aspect of things that they do, as well as in trying to sketch a, a lesson plan or a unit plan or a whole semester plan. I, I think that that's an immense challenge that they face. Well, and that's why I, I think, you know, Gawande's, you know, book, The Checklist Manifesto was so interesting because, you know, here's this big, super, super successful, brilliant surgeon. And, um, at, you know, at the end of it, after he's examined all these different checklists to try to help others, somebody says, do you use it yourself? And he says, uh, that he decided that he had to use it himself just to, you know, uh, he, he wanted to believe that he didn't need it. But, uh, you know, the first surg surgery that he used it on, you know, it actually helped him avoid, you know, a major glitch. Uh, so I think, you know, his point is that we have so many different things uh, to try to remember and try to accomplish. And so any tool that you can use uh, to try to help yourself be more consistent uh, is, is something that's essential. You know, I, I have some teachers that I, that I work with that I know who don't really seem to come in with anything, you know, in their hand and, and they're, you know, they're, they're solid teachers, but I just, I can't even imagine what that's like to walk in, you know, with things not kind of written up for yourself. Right. Yeah. Well, I'm kind of curious too um, about the way that you provide feedback for students. And, you know, one of the, the tools and tips that you shared at a Michigan Council of Teachers of English conference a number of years ago was right after the iPhone came out using right. the order and, and sending that um, to students as an email attachment or something of the like. How are you providing feedback for students nowadays? Are, are there tips and tools and strategies that you might be able to share with us? You know, I'll, uh, I'll, I'll say a number of things about that, uh, Troy, since you bring that up. It's, um, uh, so first of all, I think that, that iPhone strategy is probably the, the leanest, meanest, and cleanest way of, of providing that kind of feedback that, I, that I've come across. Uh, we went over to Canvas, and uh, Canvas has all sorts of video feedback things, uh, video and audio feedback within it. You can, uh, like if, I, if I'm reading a paper on my iPad, I can go in with an iPen and I can annotate things and circle whatnot. And, um, but it just has all these different little things, you know, that kind of get in the way and it, and the loops uh, that I, I haven't quite figured out very well how to loop back around to it in class. And so I feel like the the back end of the loop of, of looping back around to listen to it and use it and revise from it uh, is somehow much less intuitive uh, and much less uh, efficient and convenient uh, than I've been used to it being. And so, uh, so I guess my point is that it's really, you know, we get these tools and sometimes uh, they have, you know, they become the equivalent of, of these, you know, these giant Swiss army knives, you know, that have the, the, the saw blade and everything else in them and don't necessarily, uh, you know, allow you to do your work better. Because, you know, time, I'm, I think we're all just obsessed with time. So if you look at something 
uh, like this might seem really picky, but in Canvas, if I read a paper and if I give it feedback and then if I click going on to the next paper, it takes something like 9.8 seconds for the next paper to, to, to load. So, you know, 9.8 seconds times times 100 papers is real time. Um, and, yeah. um, and uh, you know, I had a, a nightmare situation last year with Turnitin where I gave all this audio feedback in their app uh, and something terrible happened uh, that where the audio just vanished. So that was a giant loss of time for my life. Um, so, so I, the bottom line is it's situational. Like, um, so today in class, you know, going back to those uh, executive summaries that you saw, uh, if you were in my class, what you would have seen me do was walking around kid to kid. We were on a block period, so I had an hour and a half, uh, and having them get out what they had so far and looking at it, you know, in real time, uh, and you know, pointing it out or, or you know, doing some stuff with it on the screen to try to help them with that, and that kind of, you know, that's more more often than not probably the the gold standard for feedback because it's just situational. It's, it's very concentrated. It's, uh, you know, um, it's helping them, uh, you know, I can explain within that context, uh, you know, what they need to do. Um, the, you know, sometimes, you know, if I, if I'm ha handing back a paper that uh, the kids have uh, been working on, I may go through all the papers and just look for some common patterns. Uh, and then kind of come back and, and not so much have individual feedback. Um, it's, ch it's challenging because part, partly, it, you know, it depends on what you feel like they need. Uh, I collected some, some big things towards the end of the semester. And, you know, the, the truth was I just wasn't going to spend my whole winter break, uh, you know, in the way that I could have, um, you know, giving feedback on all those papers. Sure, absolutely. But it sounds like what you're saying is that there's still quite a bit of value in that face-to-face -face conversation with kids. And then you're using technology and other means to enhance what you're able to offer them in that face-to-face -face setting. Yeah. And, you know, and I'll meet, you know, some, sometimes I'll set things up where I'm sitting up front and I'll just, you know, either be kind of available in general or call kids up, um, you know, in different ways. Um, you know, I think through the daily record, there's another form of feedback in the sense of, you know, kind of a, implied or indirect feedback i guess when kids can go on and look at examples so that so they're they're trying to figure out what what to do or they did what they did and then they can click on that link and, and see an example of it and compare that with theirs sometimes um you know i don't have these for all but some papers what i've done like an independent reading essay you know which is kind of a, a, a type of uh, or sorry a timed uh, a timed essay uh so i have like an annotated uh, version of a successful timed essay that's going through and explaining what that paper is doing uh, and what it's doing and what it's doing so well and why that you know why that is a good thing so that's I think ideally if we work with assignments over time we get to know you know not a formula but we, we get to be able to go in um, and uh, and you know provide feedback that could kind of work in a generic sense uh, you know one of the other things that I do uh, that I think is really helpful is, you know, like at the beginning of the year, a lot of the kids, since I teach seniors, they, a lot of them still come in with a fairly, uh, fairly disposed towards formulaic writing, even, you know, the five paragraph essay, unfortunately, um, which is fine, you know, in its place and its time. 
Uh, but as seniors, um, you know, they need to be moving away from that. And uh, so, so like with the first essay that we write, the, you know, the kids often just have no idea how else you might be able to begin uh, a pair, uh, an essay than just saying these are the three things that you're going to say, kind of a traditional five paragraph setup. So what I do, and I think there's an example of this in my, my, my new book with Heinemann, but uh, I'll give them the sheet with like six or seven different ways to begin, you know, begin with a question, begin with a quotation, uh, et cetera. And then what I did is went through and wrote seven different introductions for that same paper that they're working on using each of those different strategies uh, the, and those different approaches. And so they'll, so I think that counts as a form of feedback as well. You know, like there's, you know, kind of feedback through example, uh, for them to either be able to compare theirs or just, you know, kind of look at it and get some feedback that could nudge them in the direction. The other thing is just to be able to give them that choice, you know, with, with their writing that I think can matter so much. Yeah. Yeah. And that actually leads really well into the next question I was going to ask you about is, uh, what's been fueling you lately? What what are you working on? And I know you just mentioned a moment ago your your recent Heinemann book, um, you know, with the six academic writing assignments. And I wonder if you might tell us a little bit more about um, your book and kind of why you approached it that way, and then how teachers might be able to use this as a resource uh, when they're designing their own writing assignments. Sure. Uh, I'm distracted by how much it looks like the walls of my office are, are tilting in on each other and collapse <laughs> on top of me. Um, so, so that, you know, that, that book relative to our discussion was very interesting because I um, have never had a, you know, it took me almost five years to write that book and uh, I've never had a book that's taken me that long to write. And, um, and I, you know, I really, really had to learn to trust uh, the writing process. And, uh, you know, Tom Newkirk was my editor on that book. I'd never worked with him before. Um, and that was kind of his main advice, you know, over and over again was trust the process. And, uh, you know, so I wrote um, almost three complete versions of that book, each one of which is completely different. Um, and, uh, and by the time I would get to the end of each one, I already kind of knew that it wasn't, you know, right um and i and i thought about that a lot because I, I think i think we're in the midst of some kind of a change with with writing that's a little bit hard to understand i part of it is uh what the experiences that people have with teaching writing and coming in and how, how well prepared not everybody gets to pass through professor hicks's classes and learn how to write and use technology to do it so well um and uh i think that um just even writing itself, you know, maybe, maybe partly because I am a writer. So, um, you know, my editors are all giving me this, you know, this feedback that readability improves with shorter paragraphs. Uh, so you have a lot of, a lot of kids that come in with um, like this big, you know, uh, expert project paper that my kids are writing. I will get a, fi a five paragraph, 10 page paper. It, it will happen. It happens every year, no matter how many times I say, you know, try to provide against it. And, um, and, you know, at some point it just becomes like a security blanket for, for some kids, even though, you know, I've never said anything like that all year long. Um, and so, so I think you just have a, a period of time where writing itself because of the devices, because of the contexts, um, you know, that it's changing. Um, 
I think the the intersection with the reading, uh, you know, the connection between the reading and the writing, uh, has kind of grown more complicated as kids struggle with the reading. Uh, so, so what I finally ended up, you know, I kind of tell the story at the beginning of the book, but you know, I was sitting in the copy room one day and I just started to pick up a handout from, from, you know, some, some teacher in the copy room and looked at it and, and, and basically realized it was not a, it was not a, a great piece of work. And, and what I realized about the handouts is that these are, they're like the hidden, I know in the book, I call them the, the, the secret operating system of our classrooms. Like everybody's in there making a copy of these things to take it back to their class. And they're going to put that in the kid's hand and that's what the kid is going to learn from. So when you start looking at these things and you see, you know, uh, kind of the lack of clear, clarity about what they're trying to accomplish or the lack of clear guidelines. Uh, and so I, so I really, really started just looking at the actual assignments that teachers were giving and, you know, and they, and they sorted out into this different kind of this different uh, arrangement than most people have looked at in the past. You know, there's these six different types that I found, which were the, you know, writing to learn, um, short answer, writing on demand, more of like a process paper where you're kind of going through revisions and everything, um, long form, uh, kind of like the paper that my kids are writing now, and then alternative forms, uh, you know, which are going to be anything from, you know, resumes and PowerPoints to more mixed media. You know, we're looking at uh, having the kids experiment around with a digital essay using Adobe Spark next week and so that's that's a whole new thing for me i haven't i haven't you know done that but you know it's a form of writing but then you're mostly you know the writing is mostly the script that they're writing for the voiceover that goes kind of with it with the images so it's um you know it's an interesting time yeah that's amazing so like you just said kind of having these handouts or I know in my children's middle and high school, they will often get packets, you know, these six, eight, 10 page packets that unfortunately do kind of resonate with the five paragraph ish kind of theme. Right. And Nope, oh, here, work on your thesis. And then on the next page, you flip over and it's the body. And then on the next page, it's the body paragraph two and so on and so forth. Right. Make sure you bring in a quote from the text. Make sure you have one sentence explaining it. You know, everything has its order. So to have that kind of resource that you, you've shared with us is incredibly helpful. Yeah, so I, you know, so now I'm, you know, I'm trying to work on, uh, I'm kind of going back at a lot of this from a different angle uh, of, uh, of looking at reading assignments, uh, which certainly intersect with the writing assignments. But, but I'm, you know, I'm starting to, Kind of look at that and um, uh, not really uh, relevant entirely to your show, but I, you know, I had a crazy, crazy year of life last year and uh, just on all sorts of, you know, levels. And, uh, and so I've just finished uh, a rough draft of a memoir about last year. Um, and uh, it was it kind of started out as exploring the boundary between, uh, you know, teachers, personal and professional lives and, um, one of the things that I learned with, you know, writing more of a narrative piece is, uh, there's what you think you're going to write. And then there's what you end up writing once you start writing it, you know, because you find that it, uh, it kind of just starts, it goes where it wants to go. And, uh, I know I've read people saying that in the past, but I hadn't had the experience of it. So, um, so it's, uh, it's been a very interesting, you know, last seven months with, with writing in terms of, Kind of writing a whole whole different kind of writing it's been very uh it's been great for my teaching like you know talking about henry de Lacks today 
Um, you know, I'm hardly going to compare myself to Rebecca Skloot, but I see, you know, what she's doing in so many different ways now. You know, it's just this wonderful example of, um, you know, if you do practice what you preach. So if you're, if you're doing some of the kind of writing, uh, you know, that you're teaching, uh, you just can't help but see those things in new and better ways, you know, with your teaching and, you know, it enhances your credibility, uh, you know, as you, as you stand there in the classroom. I, I, I will say, and this is, you know, more a point for your, for your, you know, your large audience. You have, uh, well, first of all, you have a, a great example in, in Michigan's own Dave Stewart, uh, you know, and all the work that he's, that he's done, you know, with his books and his blogs and stuff like that. But I, I do really worry about, um, you know, the, the, the new generation of, you know, the next generation of writers coming along in the profession. I think, uh, you know, I, I do what I do, you know, first and foremost, to just help me better understand my own practice. But, you know, you, you see a guy like, like Dave, you know, I have a lot of respect for him and, and, you know, he's so public about his own learning and practice. Um, you know, he's one example of what that looks like, but I, I definitely think, you know, that we've got to have, uh, those next, those, you know, those people coming up along behind you and me and others, you know, Penny Kittle and Kelly Gallagher and I are all the same age. We're all, mm -hmm. you know, kind of moving, you know, towards whatever the next stage is. And, um, and so there's that question of, you know, who are, you know, who are going to be the, the next people. And you definitely have, you know, some, some wonderful people. I mean, like Kate Roberts, you know, books about reading and, and whatnot are, are fantastic, but, uh, you know, we still, we need, you know, we need those new voices to, to do the writing in their own class. I think too often people think like, oh, other people write those books, you know, Troy Hicks and Penny Kittle and all those guys, you know, and it doesn't always occur to them that like, you know, we were just doing the work, you know, and somebody said, you should write about that. And, uh, and that's how, that's pretty much how it happens. Yeah, I can, that certainly resonates for me in thinking about how to bring those new voices, how to do that through collaboration, but then also to help people in their own solo projects and whether it's through blogging and presenting to get started, but then as they move towards, you know, these more substantive book projects, how to be a support, how to be a mentor, how to be a guide. Yeah, I, I think we share that uh, concern as well as that enthusiasm too, so. Back when I was I starting so out, you couldn't start a blog. You had to write and get rejected <laughs> for journals. <laughs> I know, I know, way back in the, the day. The hard way up. Yeah, well, and uh, I always um, share the anecdote that uh, I, I'm so fortunate to have met you at the right time in my career when I think I originally introduced you at a Michigan Reading Association and then uh, you happened to uh, be there to offer a, a word of encouragement and support when I was first talking to Heinemann and I uh -huh. never thank you enough for that. So thank you so much. We're all, we're all in this together, you know? Yeah. Um, I, pro I, don't, I don't know if you've read Tom Newkirk's book, Embarrassment, you know, or Embarrassed, uh, but it's, it's probably one of the best books I read in the last year. And I, and I think that, um, you yeah, know, one of the things that I value about it so much and, and it applies to all the different aspects of our, of our work uh, and with the kids as well, but it's just, you know, he talks about that, that, that emotional underside of learning and that the, the vulnerability. And I think that applies to teachers as well. When you start putting your own ideas out there, right. When you go to the conference that first time, you know, the first time I ever spoke at a conference uh, was the year after it was the year that I published the first edition of the English teacher's companion and I thought, oh, man, I'm an author now, so I'm probably going to have this big room full of all these people. And I showed up 
you know, having, you know, fanatically prepared for this, con this, this big presentation. And I had, I think, seven people, you know, in the room there, you know, very, very willing and ready to, to learn from this, this no name. Uh, and, you know, it's all just a part of the learning, you know, as you go along. It is. So I thank you ever so much for your time today, as well as everything that you've contributed in your own classroom and to our profession. I'm very grateful for the opportunity that I'll have soon to visit your classroom and uh, spend a little bit of time with you. Yeah, again. it's going to be great. Yeah. Wonderful. I'm looking and, forward to it. Yeah. So any, any closing words that you'd want to share with other teachers of writing as they think about moving forward with their own work? You know, I think I just go back again and again to um, the, the absolute importance of, of continuing to do your own reading. You know, this is, uh, you know, I've talked about this elsewhere, but, but probably the, the, the person, the single most important person for me in this, in this respect, you know, was Carol Jago. We, you know, we kind of came up into this writing and a lot of that, uh, a lot of that together, but, uh, you know, at one point, you know, she starts asking me what I'm reading, what I'm reading, and I'm in my, maybe my third year of teaching, and, you know, and I'm saying like, oh, I don't have time, I'm, you know, and she says, of course, everybody's, everybody has time for whatever they, may, they think is important. And, uh, and, and then eventually you just don't want to not be able to participate in that conversation. And so, so I just, you know, I just, you know, started reading the New Yorker. I started reading, you know, the Atlantic magazines, uh, you know, audiobooks. And there's just nothing, you know, first of all, you just get the immediate benefit for your own self of continuing to do what you already love to do anyway. You know, and those, those teachers that I, you know, I know we all have, you know, all this, all this work we have to do, but those teachers that want to, you know, stack up all their New Yorkers until the summer, or uh, they just want to listen to podcasts, like podcasts are perfectly fine, especially yours. Uh, but, but they're not, you know, like I'm reading, uh, I'm, I'm listening to all the light that we, that we cannot see right now by that Anthony Mara, um, because Michael, Michael Smith told me that that was his favorite book last year. So, um, so, you know, like I'm, there are all sorts of great podcasts that I could listen to, I'm sure, but they're not going to, uh, you know, fill me. They're not going to challenge me. They're not going to kind of contribute to my education as an English teacher in the same way. Um, you know, I just, I just finished reading the four Elena Ferrante novels, um, you know, and then reading, you know, then reading the professional stuff. So I just think, uh, you know, that even if, like most of us, myself included, write our books in ways that you, you know, you've got these little mini chunks and you can sit down for five minutes, you know, and read the next little chunk of, of Tom Newkirk's book about embarrassment. The whole book is probably 150 pages, uh, you know, or my new book, but, but you know, five, like five minutes gives you something you know, for that next lesson that you're going to be able to use or, or down the line. And I, and it just, it just, it waters your roots. You know, I think if we don't continue to do to, you know, to kind of walk the talk, if we don't continue to read, if we say reading is important, if we don't continue to read because we actually love to read, uh, then our, you know, then our, our roots probably get a little drier and, and a little withered and, and, and we're not as, as deeply seated. And, um, you know, that I think has, uh, you know, for 30 years now has, has just sustained me uh, in such a deep, enduring way. Obviously, as you can see behind me, there's a lot of books in there. Uh, and, yeah. um, you know, some of them are waiting to be read. Some of them, <laughs> you know, uh, have been read. Uh, but, you know, it's a, it's a wonderful, wonderful thing to be able to get paid to do what you would love to do anyway.
And with that, I really appreciate you sharing that little piece of advice. And you've given me a few things to add to my reading list. So thank you again so much, Jim. All right. Writing Matters with Dr. Troy Hicks is a writable podcast. Discover more episodes and subscribe on your favorite streaming platforms. Or check out filmed episodes on YouTube. Writable offers more than 600 writing prompts and assignments with a range of feedback and assessment tools to help you build more purposeful, proficient writers. Learn more at writable.com.